You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedians Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. And in today's episode, I'm bringing you an absolute treat. This is Tommy Tiernan, uh, long regarded as one of Ireland's finest comic exports. Uh, and at this year's Edinburgh Festival, uh, Tommy, as you'll hear, was doing uh, an extraordinary comic experiment. He was improvising an hour every night. I won't tell you any more about that because we're just about to talk about it, but it was one of the most enthralling uh, hours of comedy, uh, comedy question mark, (laughs) I think I've ever seen. It was a a genuinely uh, engaging and invigorating and completely absorbing hour with a good amount of laughs in it, but it was by no means a finished comedy show. Uh, Tommy will go on to explain exactly what he's after and why uh, just now. Here he is. It's Tommy Tiernan. I'll swap it. I'll swap it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Tommy. Thanks for um, having me. You're very welcome. So you are here at the Edinburgh. I'm going to crack straight into this. I've got loads I want to talk to you about. We have limited time. So the first thing I want to just uh, explain to people who might not be aware of what you're up to. Well, can you explain it in your own words? The show you're doing this year is sort of unlike anything you've done at the festival before. It's, um... Okay, what is this now? It's very difficult to explain. It's entirely made up in the moment. So it's an improvised show, but with no games or audience suggestions. It's a kind of a showbiz version of a homeless man uh, <laughs> <laughs> shouting at trucks. Uh, <laughs> so that's what it is. That's basically what it is. Uh, I, uh, it's, but it, it's about... I'm very inspired by a piano player called Keith Jarrett uh, who would have started off in the 50s and 60s and played with Miles Davis and people like that. And then in the 1970s, when uh, he got himself into some financial trouble, decided to start taking the biggest risks of his life, which were he would walk out in front of two or 3,000 people at a time and spontaneously compose full shows, piano shows in front of them. I started listening to him a few years ago and I started to wonder, is that possible in stand-up? Uh, and so that's what I am. I don't think I'm very good at it. <laughs> uh, and I think that the... The ink, it, because it's so desperate when there's, you know, 400 people looking at you and you're kind of, you're, it's kind of like what I'm sounding like now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it is. Except more people, but it's, what, what I was going to say was that, that I'm not entirely sure that the choices I make in the moment are the wisest, but they are the only ones available. So I think what I, what I display when I'm doing the show is... First of all, my immaturity, uh, the kind of the juvenile nature of my mind uh, and some funny stuff and genuine despair as well. So they're all, it's it's a hard sell of a show. (laughs) (laughs) But that's basically what I'm trying to do. I came to say it a couple of nights ago and I think it's probably one of the most memorable and arresting things I've seen in comedy because 
it, I was expecting to see someone improvising, as you say, not necessarily from audience suggestions, but I was expecting to see someone improvising almost like riffing. And yeah. you weren't riffing. It looked like someone trying to improvise a novel on stage. <laughs> Do, does that resonate with you? That you would come out and... No. and <laughs> They come out and rather than kind of go, right, what have we got? What should we talk about? You yeah. sort of came out going, what is a yes. man? What is a man? What is humility? What is this thing I'm doing? Yeah. Well, I think on the first night you were there, I think was, um, there's a lot of talking about the process when I start. So over the course of this run, I did the second one tonight. There is... I'm talking about what I'm doing as opposed to just doing it. So, but that hopefully will fade away after another show or so. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I'm. Uh, it's very hard to. It's, it's a hard thing to talk about, to be honest, because it. it I don't know if you. You're probably better at explaining it than I am because you saw it. Um, it seems that I end up in places that I wouldn't get to if I was putting an ordinary stand-up show together. So I find that some of the subjects I drift into, like I remember that night we were, we were talking about Yeats and mm-hmm. James Joyce and people like that, and I just, there are moments that happen in a show like that that I couldn't create during a stand-up show because you'd be too self-conscious about it. You'd be second-guessing yourself. You'd be thinking, oh, this is pretentious twaddle. But in the heat of the moment, you're just, it flows out of you and you can't, there isn't time to stop it. So whatever comes into your mind, you have to say it. And that's why what I meant when I said that, looking back on tonight's show, just thinking about it myself, I thought, you know, it's, parts of it seemed juvenile to me and just a bit kind of, sh- um, not shallow thinking, but maybe not very well-developed thought processes. So, um, but I'm, I'm glad it had uh, an effect on you. I'm, I'm I blushed there. I don't know if you can see that on, <laughs> <laughs> on the on podcast. The, on the podcast. <laughs> and are you going for... It seemed to me like you were so definitely trying not to get any easy laughs. Like, what is the most... At one point, I was, I, was trying to, I was trying to have an idea of what kind of rules you've set yourself. And you've said some of them there, like no audience suggestions. Um, and is that, a, is that a conscious kind of, right, these are the principles of the performance? Well... No, because you, there are no rules because it's about what happens. So if somebody from the audience shouts something up, then that becomes part of the show. That, that, that's totally fine. Um, there are people who do that kind of thing wonderfully. I think Dara O'Brien does it magnificently where he uh, riffs off the front row. Uh, I think people like Jason Byrne, and I have a very limited uh, kind of education in terms of this thing. I think Ross Noble... Um, there are people like that who I think a bando man that I saw with my children earlier on today. There are loads of people who do and work brilliantly feeding off suggestions from people, uh, but that's that's not what I want to do. Um, I just I I think part of it is about realizing that there's no such thing really as a career that that is such a daft harness to put on yourself. We're not building anything that will last. So it's about the moment. and What's the most enjoyable moment? And I think an experience like this, like what I'm trying to do, is more... Um, it, I, I think it's more worthwhile, even though it's not as funny, even though it's very stressful, even though it's... Like the relief when I finish, because I, I do it every second night. And I know I don't have to do it again until um, what day is today? Monday is it? I don't have to do it again until Wednesday or Thursday, and I'm so happy. I'm <laughs> but I woke up this morning so stressed. Um, but I, so that 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 philosophy informs it. There's no such thing as a career, and that that's a, a very human but ultimately uh, restricting way to view your life, you know. Something you said on stage at the beginning of the performance I saw was that you were, as you were kind of explaining it, but it wasn't that you came out and said, right, here's what I'm going to try and do. It just, it became the text of the show in the, in the early part of the show. Something you said was that you were trying not to say anything that you'd ever said before. Mm. 
And I wondered whether it, there must be some element of your decision to embark on this kind of show, which is based on the fact that you've been a comedian for, I mean, how many years now? 20 nearly. Nearly 20 years. And you have performed countless shows. You've got several DVDs. You've had lots and lots of live tours. You've worked all over the world. Is there a sense, I, I wondered whether you're kind of exasperated with your... Not so much your current body of work, but, I mean, if you're talking in terms of a career, maybe, maybe it is that. Do you feel like you want to get beyond... I, I'm asking several questions at once. I suppose I'm you asking... You answer one of them. Yeah, yeah, you. Pick one, pick one. But do you see what I mean? Is there some sense whereby you're, you're tired of just writing a show in the way that you usually write a show? Maybe. I don't know. I, I, I couldn't give a... Uh... A definitive answer to that. It seemed no. When I started doing stand up, it seemed like the right thing to do. Uh, I've done some shows that I'm. I wouldn't say I'm ashamed of, but I can. I, I can notice currents in them. There've been a few angry shows. Uh, I'm glad I'm the far side of that. Um, I. It, this seems like the right thing to do. Um, and I don't, you know, the wisdom of it, I don't know. I can justify it in a way, I can justify it very kind of, you know, in terms of art. And that's slightly worrying. Because <laughs> uh, once you can do, if you're, if you're able to do that, maybe you're on the wrong, you know, if you're able to, if you, you know, you're Bono. <laughs> and that's such a that's such a cop out to use him as a reference. I'm awful sorry, Bono. Um, uh, so so I, no, this is I'm not answering your question very well. I I don't know, Stuart. To be honest with you, it seems like the right thing to do. I'm not bored of stand up. I'm not bored of my stand my stand up. I'm not bored of my shows. I enjoy doing crafted material for people. But crafted material is about working the room. Crafted material is about listening to the audience. And judging the laughs and thinking, you know, how are the acoustics in this room? Are they getting all the jokes? You know, do I need to pick up the pace a little bit? Uh, they didn't like that bit. Well, they liked it. So I know how to do that. And I know how to craft a show. I, I don't, I, I don't, I, it's still very difficult to do, but I, I, I'm able to do it. Uh, I can't predict I'll be able to craft another show, but I have been able to do it. This type of work is different. It's about it's less about listening to the audience and more about finding your mouth and hoping words come out of it. <laughs> so it's less about listening to the crowd. It's more about listening to yourself and hoping that the time you spend with an audience in an improvised show, that it's better. Because you're, when you're doing a material show, you're the man. You know, you're kind of... Yeah, and then I then this, and then that, and ha 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 ha, and everyone's going, oh my god, and I go, yeah, oh my god, and, <laughs> and you can work it, and you can be very stylistic, and you can be, you know, you're massaging, you're taking chances, and then you're talking in a whisper, and you're working the room, and then you're being very dramatic, and that's all fine. It's, it is convoluted, but it's fine. That's more about the audience though than it is about me. This type of work is different and i'm sorry that i'm not very good at explaining it and you're explaining it perfectly we're well, totally with you okay great so <laughs> yeah, well, and that concludes <laughs> so what are you that's interesting your your description of the craft and your description of what it means to be to be almost almost I don't want to say showboating, but that moment of, and I think a lot of comics have had moments, I fall into a trap of being slick a lot of the time, whereby yeah. I, I like it. I'm a, I'm a, I used to be a street performer. I like it when I can pull a trick off. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It feels like attempting a difficult trick and going boom and you get the beat just right yeah. and you say it because you learned a lesson last night or three nights ago and you go, this is, the bang, they've got it and you get it, the laugh. It is fine. It is showing off. It is... False. It is entertaining. <laughs> it, is, it is value for money. Uh, it's, but it is depressing for the performer. That type of work is depressing for the person who's doing it. I, I know this fantastic comic, Owen O'Neill, uh, who 
got a standing ovation in Montreal for a show he did. For working the room, being the man. Walked off stage, slammed the dressing room door, said, Canadians, what the fuck do they know? (laughs) (laughs) So there is... There is that thing of lifelessness doing... It is professionally responsible to do material. It's, you know, you're being a good boy. And I don't want to put that down too much because I do it and that's I, I, how I earn most of my money is by performance shows, you know. But there's something, you know, I'm drawn, I'm drawn to this other thing entirely. And, I, and it is the... And I don't want to undersell the difficulty of it. I mean, it is really, really hard. And I don't come across as somebody who is kind of, you know, trying to sell themselves as, you know, the most honest or the most hardworking or the whatever, you know, the most virtuous. I'm really... I'm aware that it might sound like that, and that's not what I'm about. I'm just trying to honestly say that this other type of work is... Um, I mean, you'd, you'd agree, it's not as funny as stand-up, uh, but there's something in it, and maybe I haven't got it right just yet, and maybe I never will, but it's at the moment I'm, I'm doing it. If you'll forgive this slight break, in fact, these have got quite weird microphones, you need to point them right at your Sure. So, was that, was all that lost? That's way better. No, 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 we, we, we got it. We got it because I started pointing my one at yours. So yeah. Pointing the words. I've learned it off by heart. I can say it word for So when you, you give the example. <laughs> You're only getting that now, okay. Oh, no, 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 I got it. And then I kind of felt like I really got it. It was great. When, you're, when you give the example of Owen O'Neill, do you, could you give yourself as an example of you had situations where you've absolutely just been the prince of the room and then walked off and thought, oh, for fuck's sake. Uh, yeah, because I, I think there's mood swings in stand-up. I think that... Um, if you give yourself totally to a room, uh, wholeheartedly, energetically, uh, in a sharing way, and you're elevated by the laughter, uh, and you're so lifted and expanded by the experience, you know, and naturally, y- you have to come back to yourself, because that's not a re- that's not a livable uh, place that you're in. So it might be, you know, that's why a lot of comics might go for a few drinks after a show because they want to just keep the kind of the buzz going. But I would often say do a show and it would go fantastically well and and get a standing ovation. And it's kind of like, you know, you're the wizard of some kind of uh, wild, maniacal, hysterical energy. And the crowd leave the room kind of saluting you and the mayhem you've created. And 20 minutes later, you could be so sad in your room by yourself because that energy has left you. And and they've taken it away. They've taken it away to have it with their friends. you dry. (laughs) You're a prune. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so I've I've had those experiences a lot there. But, you know, one of the things I do is I... Uh, I either go for a drive after the show. There's three ways of coping. Drinking. <laughs> dry, like get, get into a car. After, straight after show is great. You're full of ego still, you know. So I have all these... Uh, it has to be a sing-along CD. It has to be... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. It has to be... Wor- so you can be Bob Dylan for an hour and a half. <laughs> you know? That's so good. You know <laughs> Standing on the water, casting your bread, and you're driving through the town, like, talking to people, with the eyes of the idol with the iron head. And it takes about an hour for that. So an hour... You might only really be driving, because you might be staying in that town that night, but just driving around in circles. <laughs> you start to come back to yourself. Another way of coping with the energy, then, is drinking. You come off the show, and you start filling yourself with spirit, then it's... Fantastic, and that's a, a fine way to do it. Uh, the third way is by just accepting the Tao of depression that is approaching and 
downloading a really fucking awful film <laughs> set in Poland about abortion. <laughs> And just kind of indulging your sadness and being the loneliest, saddest man. (laughs) (laughs) So they're the three ways of coping. Okay. Uh, I don't have any of those issues after the improvised show. Do you not? No. You don't. So you come off feeling what? Sort of shriven? No, after the improvised show, I'm uh, for about an hour afterwards, I'm slightly dislocated. Uh, I'm just a bit spaced. I feel as if I've been through something. I feel as if uh, I'm, yeah, I'm just spaced. I'm kind of, um, uh, it's like if you imagine waking up a baby. Just sometimes when you're, if if there are any parents, or when we were all children and you had to go somewhere at three o'clock in the morning. (laughs) You're kind of of woken up. (laughs) You're not really speaking and you're really cute. And you're in your pajamas in the in, in the baby seat in the car, and you just kind of look around, and go, "This is brilliant. What is happening?" <laughs> so I'm a little bit like that after after the improvised show. And is there? I mean, the thing about this, I've seen people improvise parts of shows before, and normally they would equate it with writing a show. You're not making notes after these shows and going, "Oh, that bit worked," or are no, you? No, no, not sure. You can't because the mood determines the material and the material is only relevant to the mood so you can't recreate the material unless you have the same mood and the mood in the improvised show is so specific and so stressful and so kind of intense that it, whatever you, you you do wouldn't uh, recreate it so no it's not about you don't there's no point in I have thought of releasing them you know, as podcasts or albums you know so after edinburgh now i'll have an eight cd uh, tommy tiernan live in edinburgh it'd be eight cds long <laughs> who was going to buy that <laughs> so I'd, i i there, there possibly maybe something i'd like to do with the shows but i'm i don't i think being in the moment like you as a punter who've been to the show you say okay it was it was very definitely in the moment i don't know if that moment is revisitable Yes. So, I don't, I don't know. Okay. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Tommy Tiernan, ladies and gentlemen. I, I mean, what a what a sweet man. I'd never met him before. And he was the very first person I tried to book uh, for this year as soon as I knew, for the Edinburgh run, uh, as soon as I knew he was going to be at the festival, I started badgering his management something like four months ago. And they very rightly said, yeah, why don't we just sort of wait and see? But uh, very, very pleased that we could make it work. So thank you to Tommy and thank you to everyone in his camp that helped make it happen. Uh, and to everyone that came along to this live recording uh, on PBH's free fringe at Black Medicine. Uh, it was a lovely little cafe on Nicholson Street, and we had some very good times there. Um, I won't say any more about Tommy. I mean, this image of him <laughs> standing in the darkness in hooves with his Mickey out uh, is an enduring one. <laughs> That's probably all you need to know for now. Um, but I uh, really, really enjoyed this this conversation. He he absolutely is is one of the ilk of... Uh, can you use it that way around? He's one of Phil Kay's ilk, is the expression. Um, and it's fascinating that he actually refers to Phil in this conversation uh, and holds him in such high esteem. I mean, he's just one of those people who seems to be possessed 
of a, uh, who seems to, well, seems to be possessed for one thing, but also seems to regard and experience comedy as an elemental force. Uh, hugely inspiring. Uh, and we'll get back to him in a second. Just time to say thank you very much uh, for all your kind comments about the Edinburgh shows so far. The Catherine Ryan and John Lloyd podcast uh, have proved uh, predictably popular. I've uh, not, to, not to call you predictable, but I was, uh, I was very uh, hopeful that they would be well received. And they were indeed. I've had loads of lovely comments from people online. You can tweet me at ComComPod. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I, I read all your tweets. I bother to read all of your tweets. It's such a poor claim, I know. Uh, and I really try to get back to some of you, uh, to most of them, uh, even if it's weeks later. I'm so terribly bad at Twitter, but there it is. Um, do get in touch with me at ComComPod. You can follow my own uh, solo stand-up Twitter, which I use even less. So you are guaranteed. It's, it's like a nice little treat every so often. You go, oh, Goldsmith wants to know how to tile a floor. <laughs> I'm glad I'm following him. That's at Stu Goldsmith. So uh, that's uh, some of our communication channels. Uh, look at my own website, stuartgoldsmith.co.uk uh, and the new recently updated comedianscomedian.com site, which is, uh, I hope, both deep and sticky. Those are, are perfectly legitimate web terms if you know what you're talking about. Um, you can discuss this episode at uh, comedianscomedian.com and you can also uh, join the Facebook group or leave Facebook comments underneath the episodes. Uh, at the new website. Uh, merch coming soon. I'm always telling you it's coming soon. Look, I, and I'm speaking to myself here. I'm, I'm addressing you as if this is you saying this, but I'm actually addressing myself. Give me a break, man. I'll sort the merch out, I promise. I, I've, I've got it all. It's, um, it's in my fiancé's house under the stairs in a large box. Uh, I've got both amazing uh, comedianscomedian.com laminates uh, which say access no areas. They're a fun thing, proved very popular. Uh, and also some lovely T-shirts as well. I, I will sort it out. None of you are putting any pressure on me to do it. The pressure is me putting it on myself and I just don't think of it in the week <laughs> until I get round to recording these little belts, these uh, sort of intros and outros of the episodes. And then I, I just create this fictional argument between myself and, uh, and the, the merch-hungry public such as yourself. So um, we will have those before too long. Um, I am furiously packing now to charge off to Bestival. And then almost as soon as I get back, I will... Oh, sorry, if, if you're at Bestival, uh, how are you listening to this? And why aren't you snorting Nesquik off an iPhone in a ditch somewhere? Um, but uh, uh, if you are, you can come and see me uh, comparing the uh, the comedy tent, Bestival, Bestiversity, Comedy Bestiversity, something along those lines. Um, and then as soon as I get back next week, I am absolutely legging it to LA, ladies and gentlemen to go to the LA Podcast Festival. I've seen the schedule. The lineup's fantastic. I was very excited uh, to see that my friends Tim Batt and Guy Montgomery are there, uh, both excellent comics. You'll remember them. I, I spruiked up their podcast before. Uh, there are a couple of Kiwi comics who do a podcast called The Worst Idea of All Time, which I, I've talked about before what the show is. If you would like to know what The Worst Idea of All Time is, please check out their podcast. You can search for that via iTunes and all the usual places. And um, if that has piqued your curiosity... Please find out. It genuinely is the worst idea of all time and they're absolute lunatics for attempting it. For, well, for, for completing it and attempting even more of this terrible, terrible thing. Uh, so uh, I hope, I, I never like to tell you who I've booked until they're absolutely locked in, um, but I'm certainly having a series of very interesting conversations at the moment, trying to get some uh, some great American and international acts onto the show, uh, particularly trying to target people who travel to Britain less, uh, a bit less often than others. So uh, that's all. I, I promised it would be short, and once again, I've broken my promise. Let's get back. No, let's not. Let's, look, you know this. It's the donations, isn't it? If you'd like to support the show, if you want me to be able to go to LA, I'm so thrilled that I am travelling to LA and putting myself up in this uh, podcast festival entirely thanks to your generous donations. Thank you so much. Uh, I won't do a hard sell this time. You know how to do it. Comedianscomedian.com. Press the donate button. Uh, think of a number, however much you think the podcast is worth to you, and fire that donation at me via PayPal. Uh, via that link or uh, you can of course come up to me press some cash into my hand in the street and say something cool if even one person did that to me during the LA podcast festival give me some dollar bills y'all make it rain um, I will be I would be so thrilled but um, thank you I, I, I will I'll leave the hard sell for today and just say thank you because I wouldn't be able to be taking myself to LA without you guys and there are some potentially very exciting things happening as a result of that so um, thank you from the bottom of my little comedy heart Right, let's get back to Tommy Tiernan and uh, I'll speak to you at the end. <laughs> Why would you say that, Stu? You always do speak to them at the end. No one needs to know this. 
wittering, fade out, fade out, talking to self. God. So I want to talk for a bit about your your back catalogue, if you like, your previous material up to this point and what's what's led you to this point. Because I've seen I've never seen you live before. I've seen a lot of your DVDs, I've seen stuff on YouTube. And it strikes me that you as a performer have um, a really unique kind of mythic quality. The stuff you talk about, the subjects you talk about, you seem to be tapping into an incredibly human experience and more so than than i would expect from another comedian from owen o'neill or from dara there's something i was thinking about this earlier on i think from your very first live dvd there's a story or it might be from a different one but the sort of the sense of you like if i were to draw like a typical tommy tiernan story would have you standing on a windswept moor by the end of the story and it would be midnight and you'd have your mickey out and you'd have hooves Instead of feet. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like there's yeah, a kind of a mythological... music to my ego, that one. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's like the stuff that you talk uh, the about. The Heathcliff of stand-up comedy. Yeah, yeah! <laughs> there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, there's no way of answering that, but I w- will answer um, tangentially by saying that uh, I saw Rich Hall recently um, and it pleased me so much that there is uh, space in what we do for the older, wilder man. That it's not, even though there, you know, there are any amount of young, good-looking, bland, talented, uh, teeth people out there, <laughs> <laughs> and they're fine. And, uh, <laughs> Sorry, just for the benefit of the listener, I just attempted to hide my teeth using my gums. Right. Um, and that's fine. And that, uh, But the fact that people like... That older people... And maybe the older... You know, Rich is an amazing comic. Um, there are older, brilliant comedians in America, you know, uh, that... Uh, so for, in terms of that, it, it, maybe the stand-up thing is more like... Uh, poetry writing or being a novelist or an actor maybe rather than the boy band stand-up thing which is uh has its place um so i'm just pleased that that the older i get the balder i get the you know the longer my wife can tolerate my beard (laughs) um the that there's a place for that there's a place i'm 46 you know and I feel, I still feel strong for stand-up. I still feel as if there's bull energy in me. You know, there isn't uh, kind of mad calf energy. Uh, <laughs> and I, I've had that and it's awful crack. <laughs> but I feel as if the energy in me now is slightly more bullish and older. And, and I'm, I'm delighted that my business tolerates that, uh, that old, older people have a place in stand-up comedy. I, I don't know, we don't really see them, do we, on TV and stuff? Like, um, off, the top, I, off the top of my head, I, I can't really think of an older stand-up who's on telly. And by older, I mean maybe 50 and grey and balding. I can't, you know, I, I, I can't think of somebody, So, um, but, but they're out there. <laughs> do you think that the what you would call a, a boy band comedian, there are people I know who fit that bill. And a lot of them don't want to be that. They want to be wild. What is it, do you think, that is stopping them? Well, now, genuinely? Yeah. Despair. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> that you, ha- you can't fake it. You know? You, it has to be real. Your sadness is real. So that's all it is. That's, it's acknowledging sadness. It's... It's, uh, and, uh, thinking, I, I don't know, I don't know, you can't say how to be wild, because if, if you said, if there was an answer to how to be wild, then that's not wild. <laughs> uh, you know, that's, that's a, that's a pose. Um, so, r- real wildness, I suppose, has its own something or other. Um, I, I don't know, um, I, I don't know. I think it, it is... I see what you mean about it being a, it being a pose, 
But in the like, you must have made choices as a younger comedian to talk about specific things. So there must there must have been, or maybe they weren't choices. There must have been specific things that were important to you. Yeah, that you wanted to talk about. Absolutely. Yeah. That you let yourself be led by. Yes. Absolutely. So what sorts of things were those in the earlier parts of your career? Pro- you know, I guess you know, girls. Um, and religion, I suppose, they're the two big things that have kind of stayed with me. Uh, the, I, the show, material show I'm doing at the moment is, you know, there's bits about girls and bits about God. and So I think they're probably the two things, you know, that have, you know... Um, I have six children, so I, I end up talking about them as well, which is kind of, you know, uh, a bit obvious, I suppose. Uh, but, um, yeah, they're, they're the things that... I end up talking about all the time because I guess they're important to me in some way. And do you do you ever or have you ever kind of had material that was funny that worked but that wasn't important enough so you ditched it? Oh, or it wasn't important to you? Yeah, I can't think of it right now, but yeah, of course, yeah. Because it, because you're not involved in it. You have to be involved in the material. You have to either delight at the silliness of it you have to either enjoy the stupid joke of it or you have to be somehow uh, passionate about the subject you're talking about. So, But there's no, there are no absolutes. I mean, even as I'm saying these things to you, I can, you know, I can adopt an alternative position. So uh, th- there are no absolutes, you know. Um, there are no, you know, so, yeah. When you do, you know what I mean by the the madness. Like you referred to earlier on, the calf kind of madness. You are someone who doesn't just go and you know tear the roof off rooms. Well, I'll I tell you a story now, and this really this wouldn't have happened if I was doing an improvised show because an improvised show isn't fake. So yeah, okay. In my material shows, there is an element of uh, wildness and mayhem, but it's kind of professional. Yeah. Mayhem. Yeah. Doing a show one time in uh, this mountainy area of Ireland. And a guy turned up uh, in a onesie and antlers. Right? <laughs> to the show. And he was asked to take the antlers off because the people behind him couldn't see, right? <laughs> <laughs> And the bouncers checked again in a few minutes and the, uh, he had the antlers back on. Mm-hmm. He, they, uh, and he took them off again. And then when the show started, he, they saw he, he was on again. They were on again. So the bouncers asked him to leave. And it, it, was, it was one of the most damning things that I've ever, that's ever been levelled at me during the show. He stood up and he shouted... I was promised madness! <laughs> and he left. And he was right. <laughs> he was right. If he'd have come to an improvised show, that would have been totally fine. I would have been... He wouldn't have been... But he came to a kind of a... Well, it is madness, but it's a still a show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So yeah. I guess so I guess I've all, I I that's always stayed with me as a as an accusation because you must have to contrive the madness sometimes is that what you mean you have to just have to repeat it yeah and that's not is that madness then I don't know so. when you do TV spots you were, I saw your Letterman spot from maybe two thousand and seven and it was a great gig. And I was just wondering whether how you felt about having to contain the madness, to contain what you do in that professional way. I'm always for, for a tight on, seven on TV. Yeah, I'm always off on television. I get really, really, really nervous. Uh, and I, I, I did a radio thing this morning that was being uh, filmed, and I got really nervous. So I get very, very nervous on those. What things. is it that you're scared of? That that surprises me. Is that because you feel like you don't have, you can't be your real self? Did yeah, you to submit a transcript or something. I think for something? so. It's something I, I suppose I could get better at, but I I just get phenomenally nervous, uh, you know, and I I, yeah, I don't enjoy them to be honest. I spoke to John Lloyd last night on oh, yeah. this podcast, and he was talking about the fact he never felt nerves. He never he didn't care. He he believed in what he was saying and what he planned to say so much 
that it it just never struck him. And I, I think Sam Simmons as well, another kind of mad and sometimes you know professionally mad by necessity comedian. He, his feeling is that he he's so convinced that what he's doing is funny that it doesn't matter what they think. Jesus, I'd love that. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> so what part of you, what part of you is, is nervous? What part of you is scared? What do you worry could go wrong? It, it, they I don't mean, like me, that I'm not funny, that I'm a fool, that I'm an eejit, that I'm pretending, it, that I'm fake, and I'm useless. But why would those things. things matter to you if you're really, if you have that calf madness or that bull madness inside you? Is it just something that you can only sometimes contact? No, and the I, rest of the time you're a sort of mild-mannered... No, I, I don't get nervous in front of... I wasn't nervous before we did this. You know, I was looking forward to it. Uh, still am. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I... So, because I kind of felt, okay, here's an opportunity. I'm, you know, I'm a great man for talking about myself. I'm, you know, that doesn't seem to be a problem for me. Um, but I... Uh, and I enjoy waffling and, and, and talking about myself. I, I, I do enjoy that, in fairness. Uh, <laughs> that is fair. That is uh, fair. But a, a television thing, I, I, I don't know what it is. I just don't feel... I don't feel as if I'm strong and honest and determined enough to be myself or something. I can't... I can't can't put my finger on it, really, so I, I don't know, but I, I don't enjoy it. Over the over the years, how many how many DVDs have you released? About eight, I think. And are you happy with all of them? Some of them? Any of them? No, the, I think the first one was very good. Second one was good. Third one was good. The fourth one wasn't great. Why, Fifth why one was, was that? awful. <laughs> Genuinely awful. Why, why, why was that? And by whose standards was it received well, but you weren't happy with it? Or? No, I think it. No, I think people kind of started to suspect this guy is not <laughs> always going to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think the last two have been good, very good. Uh, I think, yeah. So, but there was definitely two in the middle that were um, uh, tough. I wouldn't recommend them, you know, I absolutely would. I hate seeing them in shops. Uh, I've tried to get them not to be <laughs> given to shops anymore. I'm, you know, I really don't like them. There's two of them I really don't like. They're, the rest of them, I think, are, you know, I, I don't watch them. I haven't seen them in years, and sure. I wouldn't. Uh, I was on television in Ireland about two weeks ago, and I didn't know. I was fl- flicking around, and I saw myself. And I watched 10 minutes, and... So fucking depressing. <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, there's there's two that are fairly brutal. I think anyway. Why was it depressing? I could see all the jokes coming. Um, <laughs> just it just didn't seem funny to me. It just didn't seem funny because you because you obviously you know what the punchline's going to be because you wrote and performed the joke hundreds and hundreds of times. It seemed fake. It seemed fake. It seemed fake. Yeah, it seemed fake. What? If there were a spotter, if there was someone who was like an obsessive Tommy Tiernan fan, do you think they'd be able to tell the fakeness, or is it just something you can see? I've no idea. I've never met an obsessive <laughs> Tommy Tiernan fan. There's definitely one at the back, at least. <laughs> All right. uh, I, don't, I don't know, really. I don't know. Just to stay with that, and I know it's a negative thing to talk about, okay. I hope you don't mind, but just to stay with those ones that you didn't like, were they tour shows that you did like, but the records weren't great? No, they were... No, they were actually shows that you Yeah, the material like? was... I, I was... Uh, I was more angry than creative. It was kind of like the phrase I used for it was like Frankie Boyle on cheap speed. It, it was just <laughs> angry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so, so I, the mic may not have picked up someone in the background going, "Oh God." Uh, it was it was very angry. It was gnarly. It wasn't playful. There was no joy in it. Um, and it took me two or three years to work that out of my system, really. Um, um, and the way I, 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 the way I worked it out of my system was, um, I decided to do the. I said, "How am I going to get to the far side of this phase?" And I thought to myself, "Well, I talk, you know." I thought I'll talk and talk until I'm not angry anymore. 
So I got up on stage and I did a, I did a show that lasted 36 hours and 15 minutes. And by, by design, you didn't by design. You know, that wasn't just like a, <laughs> <laughs> some kind of janitor looking at his clock. Going, <laughs> We're in the Thursday night show now. Um, and I did that uh, around April. And by the following October, the anger had gone. So it worked as a method, I think. So that's what I did. How did you physically, how were you able to keep going for 36 hours? I just did. I just um, <laughs> kept going. I kept going. I With that, and you weren't repeating stuff? Did you do No, material? I was. Um, uh, we contacted, I, I wanted to do it. So I said, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do a phenomenally long gig. Because I was interested in where that I might end up cre- creatively with that. And then, so once that was in place, then we, other s- things started attaching themselves. It, be, it became something else. We contacted the Guinness Book of Records to say, is there the world's longest stand-up comedy gig? And they said, no, not yet. And then we contacted a charity in Galway saying, we'll do this for you. If we get, we'll charge people in and we'll give the money to you. And so it became this thing then. So once it became an event, there was no kind of backing out of it. Mm. Uh, yeah, and I, and I did. I started at three o'clock on Good Friday, uh, and I performed until uh, I was t- trying to get to dawn on Easter Sunday, but I was I was too shook, uh, so I, I lasted until a quarter past three, at, or something like a quarter past six or something on Easter Sunday morning. And I, but as a process, in terms of the stand-up, it worked. I, it worked. I was able. The following October, I just noticed it. I said, "Stuff I'm doing now on stage is much more playful than that kind of." I was interested in, and and it, this is. It's good to have comics who do this. I was interested in destruction. It's important to have antisocial comics. <clears throat> it's important to have people who are reckless on stage. It's important to have, in the moment of comedy, it's. Sexist comedy is important. Racist comedy is important. These things that make us feel uncomfortable and there's a place for them. I'm not, you know, I'm a big believer in freedom of speech on stage. That something happens in a room where the audience and the performer agree we're not going to take things seriously. And I think there's a place for that type of angry, destructive it might even be unpleasant to watch, but you can't ban it. Uh, and I, 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 and I, I, I don't know these things, these things for sure. Like I'm, I'm, I'm throwing them out there. Um, that it's important, I think, that those comics exist or that those routines exist. And I feel as if uh, that's that's fine. And I feel as if I've, I've kind of been through that. I don't want to go back there. It's not what I'm about now. I have no. It doesn't make me happy or joyful to think that I did it or anything like that. But I think it's it's kind of it's important to have. It's important to have. Um, but it's not. I, I'm, I've no interest in it now. So. Uh, do you yeah. think? I mean, you saying that's in, it's important to have racist comedy yeah, and do, sexist yeah. comedy. That's it's not the same as not to take. It's see, we get so wound up about things. You know, we get so kind of righteous and constricted and precious and it's, it's, part, it's born out of a good energy because we don't want to offend anybody we want to be nice people and we want to kind of uh, love but it's important to have those things challenged it's important to go into a room and, and you know if someone tells a racist joke or something and, and a person shouts out from the back, that's racist. That's, that's fine. That's all part of the process. I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying that the person back there should shut up. But I'm saying that the person on stage, there should be a place for that. A place where normal, loving standards don't apply. Uh, not as a, you know, not as the only thing stand-up is used for, as, as a moment, you know. I, I think that's important, you know. Uh, 
Yeah, I do. I was shocked. Do you remember remember that guy Michael Richards? Yeah, who was banned? Uh, he, he he lost his mind. Kramer from Seinfeld. Yeah, he, he lost his mind on stage one night and started, you know, calling people names and stuff like that. And the reaction to that was shocking. The reaction to that, to me, was shameful. You know, uh, we, we we either have these rooms where freedom of speech is possible. You know, I hope you can sense I'm not. You know, I'm not either racist or sexist or anything like that. Have you have you been the victim yeah. of racism or sexism? Or are you are the you, victim of racism or sexism? Yeah. Or are you are you not actually in, in a very privileged <clears throat> position? Do you see what I mean? Like, is, is it I, what I'm suggesting is maybe it's okay sure. for you to think like that because you were in a privileged position whereby you haven't been harmed by a racist or a sexist joke? Sure, and like, and I, uh, I, I don't, I, I don't really have an answer to that. So this is, this isn't a debate. Where and I, I completely take on board what you're saying, completely, <clears throat> and uh, uh, there's wisdom in what both of us are saying, um, but I completely take on board what you're saying. And do you think that it's the nature of a comedy gig, that room? You've said that a couple of times. That the room, the special place, the kind of the sacredness of it. Yeah that makes things different. So there's, there's a place for a racist or a sexist joke in, within the confines, within the established context of this is a comedy gig and we're not being serious. Do you think that is separate <clears throat> to and apart from a conversation between friends in a staff room? No, do you know what I, I think maybe to, to further develop what we were saying? <clears throat> I think that if there's hate in somebody, an audience can identify it and can be repelled by it. Uh, and I'm not talking about legitimizing hate. And uh, maybe I, I, I'm not talking about that. I'm not, I'm not saying hate is a good thing or hate is legitimate or there's a place for hate. Uh, um, yeah. Okay. So I'm not... Yeah. This is really... You can tell... By the tension <laughs> in the room, that we're in a place that we're all kind of slightly okay. Where is this going? Uh, who's in charge? And we're not entirely sure where we're going, which is fantastic. Uh, but I, so I, um, yeah. So it's 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 not it's not about legitimizing hate at all. I think this comes back to the the description I was attempting earlier on of your work as somehow, if not mythic, then kind of archetypal. Do you know what I mean? There is when you talk about having the the cut the the calf wildness or the bull wildness. It seems to me that you're sort of talking about a kind of a joker spirit or like a, a coyote spirit or a kind of sure. rabbit type spirit. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, that's, um, that's a dangerous, and I mean this, that's a dangerous spirit. You know, that is, and I've experienced it, culture does not appreciate that. Yes. There's a story told about that the uh, that destructive trickster energy is actually the link between humans and heaven in a way that the trickster destroys all concepts, offends everybody, takes nothing seriously, but there's something in his spirit that is divine. But I can tell you that it is not a enjoyable place to be. I can tell you that it is... Uh, you attract hate. And I've, I've been through it twice, I think. Mm. You... you uh, it's not good. It is not... It's not a nice place to be. Do you feel battered by it? I feel like you're choosing your words carefully whilst wanting to say something important. You're also, I mean, presumably you must be mindful that in, in interviews like this, in situations like this, things that you've said have created that hate, have yeah. created that controversy. 
and it must be exasperating to not want to explain yourself again when when bombarded with on forums and message boards but also you passionately want to say what you feel well no i'm i'm just talking about that that trickster energy uh, and it's a there are consequences you know it's it's not a it's not a pose it's not some kind of um fashionable position it, it's actually personally a really really difficult place to be because yeah. you start to question yourself other people start it's a it's fucking hard place to be and it's it's you know but it's real I don't know. It's, it's a hard place to be, is what I'll say to you. Yeah. Sure. I just I wonder whether part of it is in in the spirit of kind of like carnival of like the one day of the year when everyone's roles are reversed. You know what I mean? That yeah. that, sort, that sort of spirit of like the the jester who's the only person who can talk to the king, who can the the only person who can insult the king. That kind of energy. That only I suppose only works if that is a shared cultural understanding that one person has been given the the onus to behave like that. Yeah, you, you do. You do need culture permission. And is, is that maybe the problem that you've had, is that you've given yourself a kind of permission to inhabit that and discover that culture, culture hasn't given that permission? Yeah, to. maybe, and the fact that there are... It's amazing how many, ener- how many energies are out there, especially tabloid energy, that is... Uh, it's piss energy. It's just... It's horrible. You know, it's vindictive, it's uh, narky, it's telltale it's vicious, it's destructive. Um, there's a, I remember, I would have read a lot of stuff about Zen and all this type of stuff, in, and, you know, to have no icons and to take no thing seriously. And seemingly there were these monks who used to go around and they'd v- visit monasteries and they'd take the, you know... Say there was a holy bowl, you know, they'd shit in it. <laughs> right? And, you know, the other monks would go, you, that's Buddha's, like, you just, you can't, that's disgusting. <laughs> and they go, it's just a bowl, what are you talking about? So, but when you do that... <laughs> you might be killed. You might be killed, yeah. yeah. If, you, if you pissed... In a chalice, in a church. Can you imagine what would happen to you? <laughs> uh, you know. You, so I don't know. It's 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 a okay. very difficult thing to talk about in the sense that because it it I don't feel as if we're talking about like it's absoluteless. Yes. I don't, there isn't a definite theory, or you kind of. We're trying to describe... It's like trying to describe a cloud. It's kind of... Well, it's just, you know, it's very hard, so... Um, okay. Anyway, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, thank you for that answer. Thanks for taking your time over it. I appreciate it. Which... We're, we're slightly low on time. We've got about 10 minutes left. And I wanted to ask, which of your prepared material have you been most proud of? Which, which part of your prepared material has come the closest to what you're trying to attain with your unprepared performance? None of it, really. Um, <laughs> genuinely, because, you you know, uh, there are jokes in the show that I'm doing at the moment that I enjoy in the material show. I enjoy them. I enjoy the uh, silliness of them. I enjoy the crowd reaction to them. I enjoy uh, the joy it gives people to be laughing at them. But I would never say I was proud of them. They're just... Silly. I got one. I'll tell you one. I got, I got one, actually. I was watching uh, Eight Out of Ten Cats uh, one night, and um, I was pretending I was on it. <laughs> have you... I, my research fails me. Have you been on it before? I have, have you, never been on it, never no. Been on it. Okay. I'd, I'd be shitting myself. I'd be no good. But I was at home watching myself. I was at home watching it in front of the television, pretending I was on it. Right? <laughs> so a question would be asked... And I try and come up with an answer. So they, they had this uh, they had this question about uh, obesity. You know, one of the top ten things is, is obesity. What would we do about obesity? And I was there at home, and I thought of an answer about obesity. 
And I didn't know woke up my wife. <laughs> and I said, I've just been pretending I was on eight out of ten cats. And they asked a question about obesity. And I, I said, we should hunt obese people. That'd be a cure for it, you know. <laughs> so a, 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 a bit of material developed around the notion of hunting obese people. That uh, is, in my stand-up show, is quite funny. It's, it's, so I enjoy the silliness of that. And, and yes. But I wouldn't say I was proud of it. Like, I wouldn't, you know, I'm... I wouldn't... I don't think I'm proud of... such an odd concept. I wouldn't be proud of anything, really. Why is that, why is that an odd concept? Do you, do you, I mean, do you not have a bit that you go, oh, that's it, that bit I nailed? No. Or is, can, that, are you, is that exactly no. what you're trying to destroy? No, you can, you can... Any given night, you might say, God, that section was fantastic. Or when you're in the middle of a section and you just know every every bit of it is is being picked up on, you have the feeling this is happening, and that's very. But you couldn't afterwards ever say that you're proud of it. You just you enjoy it. That's it's. I don't think one is proud of these things. So okay, um, we've just got a few minutes left. Um, if you're happy to take some questions from the audience, I'd be, I'd, yeah, um, I'm sure if they're still awake. <laughs> That's a really good question. Do you think that there can be a female trickster energy? Mm. Let's not rush an answer here. Let's take the time to consider this one properly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Mythically, would there be one? Um, uh, I'm trying to think of Grace... Uh, I wouldn't have a huge knowledge now of female gods, but they would seem to embrace uh, creativity and destruction. They uh, would seem to be able to... That there are their strengths, death and birth. I don't... I'm not sure... I'm just... I'm, the few gods... Isn't there Shiva? Is Shiva male or female? Shiva's Shakti. And is Shakti destructive and she's she's the one that she's Shiva's female energy and she's the trickster. She makes the world which is illusion. Uh, and Shiva is the passive, which is the male, he just experiences it. I think it's certainly there in comedy. I think there are there are anarchic female comedians at this festival. I'd go and see Holly Byrne. Yeah, so would I. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think, and maybe they're less prevalent. I mean, I think that's, but then, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. (laughs) I I don't know. I, 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 that's a, you, you asked a question, a specific question about trickster, and trickster is mythic. Trickster isn't the same as, Comedy, so there are amazing female stands up stand ups. Amazing, one of my favourites that I've come across recently is Catherine Ryan. Yeah, uh, brilliant, slightly wild, so clever, uh, brilliant energy on stage. But I couldn't, it, I couldn't equate her with say f- with Phil Kay, who is seems to be you know the consummate trickster energy destructive and positive and so I, I, I I'm, you know I'm not um, that's it yeah we'll look harder and anyone listening or who would like to uh, email in or uh, come and talk to us afterwards uh, I, I'm thinking off the top of my head of people uh, like Petra Massey and Holly Byrne and uh, uh, I can't remember the lady's name but she's playing a, a character called Dave here and um, there's a show called Dave I think it might be Laura Coombs Ma uh, and also Misbehave I think there's quite a lot of, uh, of trickster energy amongst the uh, female... Eleanor Tiernan, who's my cousin as well, is also... Uh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. All friends of the show. <laughs> Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we must finish there because we're about to get kicked out. Thank you, Tommy. Thanks I, for tolerating me. It's no, been an interesting I, I journey. I n- normally like to bring it back to... I like to ask my guests finally, so you'll need to answer this very quickly. What would you have on your comedy gravestone? Ah, well, now I tell you what. <laughs> I learned this quote the other night... Uh, from uh, a wonderful lady and it was John Keats's 
uh, what's written on his gravestone is, here lies a man whose name was writ on water. And his name isn't on it. That's all it says. Here lies a man whose name was writ on water. So That'll do. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. So that was Tommy Tiernan. What a, what a, a brilliant guy. I was going to say, what a brilliant interview. Pat on the back for Stu. That's not what I mean at all. What an intense and fascinating experience to talk to someone who, through whom comedy speaks in such a fashion. Uh, so thank you so much to Tommy for coming along. And thanks to everyone at Black Medicine as well. And also Megan Pugh, uh, who was helping me out uh, throughout the whole of this run. And also, of course, uh, Nathan Wood, who co-produces this show, like all of them these days, uh, the, the the plucky little <laughs> worker bee that he is. Um, thanks, Nathan. So uh, that's all for now. Coming up next week, probably Matt Lucas. Shall we get that one out? Shall we wham that out? Or will I? Yeah, I'll be. I won't have recorded anything in LA by then. <laughs> Slam, clack, clang is what I meant to say. I won't have recorded anything in LA by then, guys. Um, so let's see if we can uh, get that uh, Matt Lucas episode ship shape and uh, wham you that next week. And then great, loads more great stuff. Ronnie Cheng and Jason Byrne and Ashling B and Maine Martin and uh, Will Durst uh, shortly after that as well. Fascinating guy. Uh, so stay tuned you don't you don't tune do you stay locked in lot lot <laughs> i can't even bring myself to pastiche a pirate radio station uh keep it locked in no no just uh, just keep listening to the show thank you uh, donate at comedianscomedian.com or you can do your bit by sharing the show with a friend get let's get the word out let's have a little push to tell some more people about the show when you've got an episode as good as this one let's get it out there thanks for listening and uh, i will speak to you very soon Bye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.